Happy New Year, everyone. 2023, it's going to be a great year. We're going to have lots of fun together. Uh, my name is Yaffa Sakaja, and I'm the CEO of Beneplan. If you haven't heard of Beneplan, we are an employee benefits cooperative here in Canada. And today I want to talk about when it's okay to bend or break the rules of an insurance contract. And it's a little scary that I'm posting this on the internet for everyone to see. But I want to talk about four real examples that came across my desk and what I chose to, I would say, stretch the rules. Um, when I talk about the rules, I really mean the rules of uh, clean, effective plan administration in order to keep the benefit plan compliant. And I want to talk about this because um, I think we, in all the literature, people like to pretend that life is black and white. And, you know, let's say you're served up an insurance contract when it comes to your, your employee group benefits, and it says thou shalt this, and the rule is that, um, and there's no room for error, and there's no room for gray. But realistically, every single day of the week, you know, Beneplan covers 35,000 Canadians. And we're talking about human beings. We're talking about human beings that have come to us to engage into purchasing private health insurance to pay for their health care. Um, life is messy and human beings are not perfect binary beings. They're not a zero or a one or a box you can fit into. There's a lot of life that happens and um, it can be tough. If you're watching this video or if you're listening to this podcast, you might be an insurance advisor, you might be a plan administrator or a plan sponsor, or you might be a plan member, a, a staff member that uses your plan. Um, regardless of that fact, I think it's important that we understand what are those rules and what is the risk of following those rules or breaking those rules on either side. I'm going to give you four real examples. Um, so let me just take one of these rules and, you know, to back up, this is, we are a Canadian company. So if you're listening or watching from another jurisdiction, I don't know if this will apply. Um, but one of the most common rules that we see in Canada when we're putting together a contract is that you must enroll folks on time to the plan. Enrolling people into the benefit plan on time is critical to avoid anti-selection. What does on time mean? It means that if the contract says uh, you've got 30 days to add them to the plan with no medical evidence, well then you've got 30 days. Most of our contracts here at Beneplan say 90 days because three months is the most common probation period here in Canada. The client can choose, they can make it a different waiting period. Three months is typically the best one to use. Um, and we do have a grace period. We allow people up to 31 days from that date to enroll them on the plan with no medical evidence, meaning that uh, you could hire somebody that's got cancer or MS throughout their entire body and they get health insurance, boom, right away without having to do any medical, no questionnaires, no histories, no step on a scale, no pee in a cup, no take blood, uh, none of that. And, you know, the reason why rules exist is to prevent bad things from happening in the plant. Because as you can imagine, once people understand that you have this magical ability to join benefit plans without medicals, um, if a lot of people found that out, then they would definitely try to run trucks through those rules, especially when they're uninsurable. But what I want to do is take a step back and give you four examples of times when we've been asked things that are really sensitive. Um... And the first example I'm going to start with is in the case when, you know, children are changing guardianship. 
So here's the situation. We have a company who, uh, it's a blue collar company. They have a staff member who is the grandparent to two little kids and they want to add these two little kids onto their benefit plan as their dependents. We look at the ages of the two kids and they're two and four years old. So typically this would be an instant no according to insurance company rules. It would be an instant no for two rules. One, um, you can only be a legal guardian of the child or the natural parent or the adopted parent of the child in order to add them as a dependent on your plan. Uh, you know, you can't go around just like adding random people onto your plan because there's no family relationship and that could be deemed fraudulent or abusive. Uh, the second rule that this breaks is that if you did want to add children on the plan, you have to add them from the date that they're born. Otherwise they become a late applicant. Late applicants have to go through medical underwriting and you'd be surprised how often children and babies get declined, mostly because there's a ton of health issues that happen in the first year of life. Like think about it, they're, they're small, they're vulnerable, they're getting sick, they're building their immune systems. Um, so if you were to follow the contract to the T, uh, we'd say, no, sorry, we're not adding them to the plan. Um, what I, what I've done though, in this situation is we looked at, okay, what is the risk of adding them to the plan, uh, while we're waiting for the legal documentation to come through? Because we know that we asked for, uh, legal guardianship papers or, or court order. And, um, here's the reality in Canada, the courts were closed for a long time during COVID. The court system is so backed up. Um, it's expensive. It's costly. It's going to take time. It's possible that, um, you know, statistically, we also have a huge opiate crisis happening all across North America. And it is possible there are a lot of grandparents that are taking over the care of these children because sadly we have an epidemic of drug use and addiction and mental health in this country. Um, then I looked at the benefit plan and I saw that the benefit plan is actually quite low risk from the insurance company's perspective. So. Um, you know, kids are not able to claim disability, long-term disability. There's no dependent life insurance on there, which is an unfortunate thing. I think they should add dependent life insurance. Um, there, it wasn't a particularly rich benefit plan. There were maximums on everything. There were some copays. We're not talking about an unlimited drug plan. Like this is a blue collar, small company. Um, they don't, they're not running an investment bank. They're not running a Silicon Valley based startup with like unlimited this and unlimited that. So even if we were to add the two and the four-year-old on the plan, what are they going to spend? Like in Canada, it's like a little bit of dental. Sure, they could potentially defraud the Cairo and the physio, but technology is pretty good now at finding out fraud. Um, I know we work with one with Green Shield and cooperators on the drug card side, and they've got some pretty good technology to say, hey, you know what? Does your four-year-old and eight-year-old and both of you need to max out on massage all on the same day? Yeah, I didn't think so. I think that's fraud, so we're going to audit that. So... You know, what I said in this case was, look, go ahead and add the kids onto the plan. We're adding that in good faith that you are going to tell the plan member to go ahead and obtain the documentation for legal guardianship of this grandparent. We know it'll come, it'll take time, but hey, if it doesn't come in a few months, we can always suspend the plan or suspend those members. So if you're listening to this and you're an insurance actuary and you're very offended, you can come and at me. My email address is yaffa at benefitplan.ca. But, you know, I can sleep peaceful at night knowing that, okay, did I really enforce the contract and make sure that we're saving every single dollar? Okay. 
but also there's two little kids out there that just lost their parents and now are moving into a house with their grandparents. They may know them, they may not know them. You know, they did it over the holiday season, seems really stressful, not a ton of money in the benefit plan. You know, throw these people a bone. I feel like they've suffered enough. So next, let's move on. <laughs> Okay, let's look at the next situation. Uh, talking about kids, I mean, look, I'm a mom. I've got two kids. I have a six-month-old baby and a four-year-old boy as well. They are the loves of my life. So you can see my insurance CEO head and my mom head sometimes are in conflict with each other. But I think it's important that let's, again, look at it from the frame of risk and how our actuary is going to be looking at this. So um, the second, the second uh, situation I want to talk about is anti-selection and late applicants when it comes to adding babies on the plan. So right uh, after the pandemic, we noticed there were all these like, you know, one and two year olds that wanted to be added to the plan. And again, if you want to add somebody to the plan, you've got to add them within 30 days of them becoming effective. And the effective date for a child is typically the day that they were born, the day that they were legally adopted. So obviously being a year late, we're like, uh, this is not going to fly. However, <laughs> however, if we are looking at it from the lens of, okay, what is the context? Like, who, what is this person's occupation? How much do they make? Are they a single? Are they a single parent? What do they do? Um, this can help us understand a little bit more to the story because look, at the end of the day, it doesn't feel good saying no. It feels good saying no if we know it's outright fraud, but we're actually in the business of paying claims and paying for insurance items for people that need it. And it's a health issue. Yes, we want to make sure that the insurance company is profitable because we don't want it to be a pyramid scheme. We don't want fraud out there. But let's look at the risk and the statistical likelihood of fraud taking place versus the context of there were a lot of parents that during the pandemic were under lockdown. They had one and two year old or babies, little kids, newborns. Um, it's possible that they were very overwhelmed at this time. And it is also a fact that, you know, we are in Toronto, Ontario. Uh, Toronto had one of the longest lockdowns in the world, including healthcare facilities. So a lot of healthcare providers were told, please shut down your clinic unless there's urgent essential items going on. So even if you did add your child to the plan, I mean, there's not much of services you could have gotten unless you were actually in the emergency room. And in Canada, if you actually get your medicine in the eMERGE, well, it's paid for by the government. So there's, there's not fraud that I'm seeing with that. What I'm seeing come through there are, we have a lot of parents that were overwhelmed and it's not like, you know, we should be offended that they didn't think, oh my God, I have to tell Beneplan, um, you know, as soon as my child is born, because otherwise, how are we going to buy medicine for them? You know, we even had a Tylenol medicine shortage here in Canada. So it's like people are very stressed out about it. Um, now that said, if we find that this company is a, uh, I don't want to say bad offender, but if they keep trying to break the rules over and over, then that tells us that there's an opportunity to educate the plan administrator. This might not be fraud. This might just be, again, somebody who's overwhelmed and there's sloppy administration going on. Um, but let's also tell the truth. Let's look in the mirror and understand, well, what did we all go through as a society? And so in that situation, what I said to my team to say to the client is, you know, um, we're willing to waive the medical evidence if underwriting approves and underwriting is going to prove that if number one, the client or the plan member pays the back premium. So they have to pay the difference between the single plan and the family plan, and they're gonna to have to pay back retroactively to the date that they were effective. 
Sometimes that's an instant no. Sometimes they're like, hey, we don't have a year of premiums to pay you. That's got to go to underwriting anyways. But if it's a month, two months, like you really shouldn't have a huge problem there. Um, the other really interesting thing is, because it's all about premium collection and making sure that we're collecting enough premium to support the claim. Otherwise, you know, when there's not enough money, it becomes a bit of a pyramid scheme, which you don't want. You do not want that. Um, but sometimes you'll look at the, pull the record, look at the plan member, and they're not a single parent. Maybe they are a family unit and they're already paying family premiums. And now they want to add this child onto the plan, but just for whatever reason, they completely forgot. If they're coming at you with that energy, the humble energy of, I completely forgot. I had no idea. I was working remotely. I didn't even know we had a benefit plan, um, you know, until my kid had an ear infection. You know, try. I would try to offer them some grace there. Uh, again, at the same time, if you notice that this is happening frequently, it's happening all the time, there's a lot of children that we don't know about, that's an opportunity to educate. Um, I want to talk about this with a big asterisk. Like, fraud does exist. There is a lot of fraud that happens when... Um, you know, people are put in vulnerable positions. A lot of people don't think they are defrauding anybody when they add uh, claims that really don't exist with an insurance company. And one of the things that happens is they will add like ghost dependents or ghost employees that, you know, these are people that don't exist. Um, unfortunately, you know, in Canada, we're still using the honor system. So we cannot go out and audit and check that every single name in our database is actually a real human being. It's really up to the employer to make sure that, uh, you know, they've got that good faith relationship with their staff. And unfortunately, statistically, we get it wrong sometimes, but hopefully we're getting it right statistically more times than we're getting it wrong. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is open enrollment. Okay. So open enrollment is something, it's a tool that I use when you know, we might look at a company that has many, many, many late applicants, and it could be a disaster for the broker, a disaster for the client, because, you know, you might have a hundred staff and 20 people have never been put on the plan. You know, that's a nightmare because if you suddenly have 20 people that don't have benefits and know they don't have benefits, you don't want to help create an opportunity whereby suddenly they're organizing, there's a new union involved and you had, um, you know, something to do in creating that relationship. Now that said, it is the onus is on the company to tell us that these people exist. But again, this is where we look at, let's zoom out, let's take a 50,000 foot view and ask more about, okay, what was happening in your business at the time? Can you give me more context? Because before I send this to underwriting, they're gonna wanna know <laughs> why did you not add these 20 people? Because otherwise these 20 people are going to be termed late applicants and be denied entry on the benefit plan unless we send a nurse to their house, do the whole step on the scale type thing, which is very invasive and could lead to declines. I mean, there are people that get instant declines because they've had a history of depression and it's like, that's it. You have no health insurance. Sorry, you're out of luck. Um, so I like to ask questions like, okay, was there a change in a plan administrator? That's a huge, um, time when sometimes when people change and there's no proper education or maybe they never told the broker about it there was no training opportunity that's a very very common way uh, that people drop the ball number two it's also possible that maybe this is a new workforce uh, maybe they're new to canada are they immigrants is english a second language 
Is it difficult to comprehend and understand what's happening? I found when I've visited some of our clients' plants and I've interfaced with that population, you have a lot of vulnerable people. They might've come from places like that were more violent or come from places where their own physical security was at risk. They have a problem with trust. Uh, literacy might be an issue where reading and writing is not really their forte. And I've been to places before where I've had to uh, literally like read an enrollment form to someone and call my mom who speaks Arabic and say, can you please translate these words to me? Like, can you remind me what does pharmacy mean again? Because sometimes people literally cannot read it. And while there might be a translator in the plant, um, you know, you're working night shifts, maybe the translator comes during the day. Again, life is messy. We're talking about human beings here. So, you know, when you have such a large population, it doesn't mean that all 20 people are trying to break the rules. It might mean that there was another circumstance that happened. And asking questions, I've heard things such as, oh, well, we just bought a company. Yeah, yeah, well, these are people that came from the new company. Oh, okay, well, that doesn't necessarily mean they're late applicants. It might mean that we're adding a new division. Did they have a benefit plan before or not? Yes, no, there's different paths to take based on that. Um, what are their occupations? Is this a brand new occupation that's coming in? Uh, you know, just give us more to the story. Uh, you know, there are hard times where we've had workers who are more transient, you know, temporary foreign workers coming in to help pick our produce here in the gorgeous uh, country that is Canada. And it's possible they just kept coming and then suddenly they became new Canadians and now they're permanent residents. And so there's always, always more to the story. Um, I find it's always good to think about like, what are solutions? So how do we add those 20 people onto the plan and give them coverage? Um, we might need to charge back premium, but if the employer is okay to maybe sponsor part of that, that's a critical thing. Um, last thing I'm going to say is when we use cost plus to help solve problems. And I say solve problems because, um, let's face it, there's times when, the plan is adequate to pay claims. And then there's times when it's completely too low or out of the question. So I'm not going to do a big deep dive into cost plus right now. If you're wondering what is cost plus, you can email me, uh, yaffa at beneplan.ca, but it's really important to be aware of all of the tools available to you because, uh, you know, the number one thing that happens is if we get a decline and we're not able to just extend coverage, AKA break our rules, uh, or bend the insurance company's rules to try to accommodate people, always with underwriting support, by the way, always with the insurance company's full knowledge of the situation. Um, at the end of the day, let's understand, okay, we weren't able to get that outcome, but what does the person want? And what does the client want at the end of the day? They just want their claims to be paid. So is it possible that the company can say, hey, instead of paying for full health insurance, do you wanna to try to solve the problem by expensing their health um, claims through what we call a cost plus account. In the US, you might have different names for it, but um, you know, I have seen employers say, okay, you know, let's give them a thousand or two thousand dollar separate health spending accounts. So at minimum, they can get dental done and get, you know, get some medicine paid for. Um, they also can go ahead and say, look, we recommend you buy your own life insurance plan. We'll help sponsor maybe the first year. But unfortunately, for whatever reason, you didn't tell us about this new dependent, whatever, um, we're going to not be able to accommodate that request. So I think it's really critical to remember that we are all human beings. This is not a 
one size fits all, um, you know, uh, world. <laughs> and uh, if you have any questions about this, uh, about the land of gray, please, again, feel free to contact us. Our website is benaplan.ca. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Uh, we've got a podcast as well on all the podcast channels. You can Google Beneplan. Uh, you can email us as well. So if you have any topics, we'd love to hear from you. What do you want to hear from? Um, if you want to be a guest on this show, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> we can riff a little bit. We can have fun. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Bombone has been a great app for me. It's a great way to introduce yourself to new clients. My name is Mitch Hanlon. I am the sales manager with Claim Secure. I've been using BombBomb now for about two and a half weeks. I really have been enjoying it. It's a way that you can record quick snippets of videos of yourself, 15 to 30 seconds. I usually keep my videos within. I attach them to emails and I attach them to text messages when I initially reach out to a new prospect or new client. It's just a way to, to stand out from the rest. You know, your clients are getting constant emails of, of, of new people trying to talk to them and you get lost in a sea of a sea of information. So a way to stand out is very important. I love it. It's a great way to, 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 to stand out. My phone number is 416-409-4776. And my email is mitchell.hanlon at claimsecure.com.